Let me invite you to open your Bibles with me once again today to the book of Proverbs. And this morning we begin in chapter 15 and with verse 3. So Proverbs 15, verse 3, where Solomon writes, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Father, help us to live in the light of this reality, that your eyes are in every place, watching. There is none of us hidden from you. There is no corner of the globe, no place that we can go that is hidden from you. Uh, When we're doing good, or when we're doing evil. If we are good, or if we are evil. Help us to live in the light of this reality and to desire and determine by your grace to be in the right category. And help us today as we consider righteousness from this book of Proverbs again. Help us to desire what you desire for our lives. Help us to be righteous, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been considering key themes in this book of Proverbs. We've looked at wisdom and family and work and money and speech. And two weeks ago, we began a look at God's teaching in the book of Proverbs on the matter of righteousness. Righteousness. And we looked in that first message on righteousness, we looked at the ways of righteousness and we looked at the ruler and righteousness. We looked at specific ways that we are to be upright, specific ways that we are to be righteous, including uh, integrity, marital fidelity, humility, compassion and generosity, kindness, upholding justice, inward righteousness, and more. And then we also saw in Proverbs how vital it is for rulers to be righteous. And hopefully we have applied that in our own areas of leadership. And today, Lord willing, we're going to hear more from this book of Proverbs, more from God's uh, mouth in this book about righteousness. And today we'll, we'll see that the book of Proverbs has a great deal to say to us about motives for righteousness, and it also speaks to the issue of the cultivation of righteousness. Those are our two headings today. Motives for righteousness and the cultivation of righteousness. How do we become more righteous? Do you want to be righteous? Do you want to be in the right category when you consider God watching the evil and the good? Do you want to do and think and be righteous? I hope you do. I hope you hunger and thirst for righteousness, as Jesus put it in his famous sermon. But to whatever extent you don't hunger and thirst for righteousness, and or to whatever extent you don't thirst for righteousness enough, and or to whatever extent you want to keep and you need to keep thirsting and hungering for righteousness, God gives us marvelous motives here in this book to be upright men, 
upright women, upright boys and girls. God gives us wonderful motivation in the book of Proverbs to pursue righteousness. And that's where we turn now, first of all, to gather from this book of Proverbs motives for righteousness. God has a lot to say in this book about why we should be righteous, about why we should want to be upright in our ways. He has a great deal to say in this book in order to motivate us to be righteous. And let me say before we proceed that a great deal of the motivation to be righteous comes in this book in the form of motivation not to be unrighteous. A great deal of the motivation in Proverbs to be righteous comes in the form of motivation against sin, against evil, against unrighteousness. And we'll see this as we go along. And we'll see positive uh, motivation as well. And we'll go along now looking at motives to righteousness and we'll do so in three parts. Three parts, it seems to me, that we can divide this topic into. First, you should be motivated to righteousness, God tells us in this book, for your own sake. You should be motivated to fit into the category of the good. You should be motivated to be righteous for your own sake. The book of Proverbs teaches us again and again that unrighteousness brings its practitioners trouble and that righteousness garners for its doers reward. Again and again, we're told unrighteousness will bring you trouble, but righteousness will bring you reward. And God tells us these two things, these uh, two truths, in order to motivate us to choose righteousness. Be righteous for your own sake, he's saying, because in being so, you will avoid trouble and you will garner reward. Because unrighteousness brings its practitioners trouble and righteousness garners its practitioners reward. Now, let's just notice how we're going to spend uh, a good deal of time on this first portion of this heading. Let's just notice, first of all, how this principle is taught to us regarding righteousness and unrighteousness in general. We'll come back and look at some specific kinds of sins and how uh, they can bring us trouble. But let's just look at righteousness and unrighteousness in general and how they bring trouble and reward. And I'm going to walk you through a number of verses. We'll begin in chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, where we're told that the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And so choose well. Chapter 10, verse 3. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. Choose well. Chapter 10, verse 7. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. Choose well. Chapter 10, verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Verse 30, the righteous will never be shaken, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. Choose well. Verse 5, chapter 11, the righteousness of the blameless will smooth his way, 
but the wicked will fall by his own righteousness. Verse 31, if the righteous will be rewarded in the earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? Choose well between righteousness and wickedness. Chapter 12, verse 7, the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Jesus taught the same thing, in essence, in his Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? About the house and where it's built, whether on his word or not. Chapter 13, verse 25, the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the stomach of the wicked is in need. Choose well. Chapter 14, verse 11, the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. I'm not sure if he's, if he's um, intending a comparison between a house and a tent, but it may be, even though the wicked has a house and the righteous only has a tent, that house is going to go away. But God will bless even the tent of the man who's righteous. Chapter 15, verse 29, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Choose well between good and evil. And then chapter 28 verse 27, he who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. Now in those places the righteous and the wicked are set side by side, but they're also dealt with individually in a few spots. Let's look at those chapter 29 verse 6, by transgression an evil man is ensnared. Chapter 24, verse 20. There will be no future for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Chapter 22, verse 8. He who sows iniquity will reap vanity. Trouble comes upon the practitioners of unrighteousness. But, chapter 16, verse 31. A gray head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. Life will tend to be longer if you walk with the Lord, if you're righteous. Chapter 16, verse 7, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So what do you think? Do the comparison. A bright, smooth path or a dark and stumbling one? A full stomach or rejected craving? A blessed memory or a rotting name? Length of days and gray hair or a shortened life? A flourishing tent or a destroyed house? Prayers heard or a distant God? Being ensnared and without a future and reaping vanity or a gray head and peace with your enemies? Choose well. I hope the troubles and the rewards that God mentioned here move you to hunger for righteousness, to thirst to be an upright man or woman, an upright girl or boy. Be righteous for your own sake, for your own good, God is saying to you today. So the principle again is that unrighteousness brings its practitioners trouble, but righteousness garners Reward for those who practice it. And we've seen that principle taught to us regarding righteousness and unrighteousness 
in general, and actually uh, I, I had a verse out of place there when I read to you from chapter 28, but like chapter 28, verse 27, God in Proverbs not only motivates us to righteousness by telling of the rewards for righteousness in general and unrighteousness in general, but he also speaks to the results of some specific behaviors, both righteous and unrighteous, in order to motivate us to those specific behaviors of righteousness. So listen to the trouble that certain kinds of unrighteousness bring. We've been thinking about righteousness in general, but now specific acts and ways of unrighteousness and their trouble. Chapter 5. Verses 7 through 11. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Talking about the adulteress. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one and strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien and you will groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. Motive to be righteous in terms of your purity. Chapter 13, verse 11. Wealth obtained by fraud dwindles. Motive to be righteous in the way that you gather money to yourself. Chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Motivation to be humble. Chapter 17, verse 13, he who returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Motivation to return good for good. Chapter 19, verse 9, A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will perish. Motivation to be a truth teller. Chapter 20, verse 20, he who curses his father or his mother, his lamp will go out in time of darkness. Motivation to honor your father and mother. And chapter 21, verse 13, he who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. Motivation to be generous. So all of these specific kinds of unrighteousness and the troubles that are brought about by them are put to us to motivate us to be righteous in these areas rather than unrighteous for our own sakes. For your own sake, be righteous, God is saying. And he also says the same thing in the opposite way by telling us of the rewards for some specific kinds of righteousness. Chapter 22, verse 4, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. So for your own sake, be humble. Chapter 19, verse 17, one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deed. So be gracious to the poor for your own sake, God says. Chapter 14, verse 21. Happy is he who is gracious to the poor. Once again, be gracious to the poor for your own sake. Chapter 11, 
Verse 25, the same thing. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. Be generous for your own sake. Chapter 11, verse 16, a gracious woman attains honor. Be gracious, ladies, for your own sake. And then chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. For your own sake, for the sake of favor and good repute, be righteous, be kind, tell the truth. So you see, God in Proverbs is giving us motives to righteousness, and one of the motives is that he says to us again and again in different ways, be righteous for your own good. For your own sake, it will bring blessing to you. But then he gives us motives to righteousness less frequently, but still, of course, importantly, by saying to us that we should be motivated to righteousness for the sake of others. For the sake of others. Listen to it with me. We ought to be motivated to righteousness. God says in chapter 15, verse 18, for the sake of peace. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. Be righteous. Don't have a hot temper, but be righteous. Be slow to anger for the sake of others around you so that you can calm disputes rather than stirring up strife. And then in chapter 23, verse 24, we're motivated to be righteous for the sake of our fathers. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who sires a wise son will be glad in him. Be righteous so that your dad will have something to rejoice in in your life. And then we're also motivated in this book to be righteous for the sake of society in general. Chapter 28, verse 12. When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked rise... Men hide themselves. Chapter 29, verse 2. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. If you are righteous, you just add one more life to the group of righteous people that God is raising up in this country, which, when there are enough of them, cause the, the land to rejoice. So for the sake of others, God says, be righteous, be upright, do right. And then also, still under this heading of motives for righteousness, we should be motivated to righteousness, God says, yes, for our own sake, and yes, for the sake of others, but then also for his sake. We're told in this book that we should be motivated to righteousness for the sake of God, for the sake of God. And this, of course, is the most important motive of all. Remember that verse that we began with? Chapter 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. And what Proverbs also tells us is that what God sees when he watches the evil and the good either delights him or disgusts him. Listen to it. Chapter 15, verse 8. 
The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Verse 9, the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves one who pursues righteousness. Chapter 12, verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. Chapter 11, verse 20, the perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their walk are his delight. Did you hear it four times? An abomination to the Lord, an abomination to the Lord, an abomination to the Lord, an abomination to the Lord. That's what the wicked and their ways are. And did you hear it three times? His delight, his delight, his delight. That's what the righteous are. And then the other verse speaks of the Lord loving the righteous. Listen to these verses again with me. Chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves one who pursues righteousness. 12.22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. Chapter 11, verse 20, the perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord, but the blameless in their walk are his delight. On the one hand, your behavior can be, as it were, a stench in God's nostrils, disgusting him. Your behavior can be something that he abominates. Something that turns his stomach, as it were, and of course, fires his wrath. Or on the other hand, your behavior and your thoughts, your ways can be his delight, a sweet aroma in his nostrils. Something that causes him, as it were, to smile, to rejoice, to sing. God is not sitting on his throne in heaven watching the evil and good casually. He's watching the evil and the good, but not casually. He's watching the evil with abomination. And he's watching the good with delight and with love. He's watching the righteous with delight and with love. Don't you want to delight the Lord? God tells us these things by way of motivation. He wants us to consider that our ways can either disgust our maker or delight him. He wants us to consider our ways and for God's sake to choose righteousness. Be righteous for my sake, he says to us in this book. These are motives for righteousness in this book of Proverbs. Be righteous for your own sake. Be righteous for the sake of others. Be righteous for the sake of God. But then we also need to see that the Lord not only gives us in this book motives for righteousness, but he also speaks to us regarding the cultivation of righteousness. The cultivation of righteousness. How do we go about becoming more righteous? So God speaks to us and informs us of the ways of righteousness, what righteousness is, And he gives us motives to righteousness, why righteousness should be in our lives. And then 
He gives us information as to how to cultivate righteousness, how we go about doing it. And what does he say on the how topic? What does he say about cultivating righteousness here in this book of Proverbs? Well, one thing he tells us is that righteousness is cultivated by means of discipline. By means of discipline. Chapter 20 and verse 30. Stripes that wound, scour away evil, and strokes reach the innermost parts. Stripes that wound, whether they be physical stripes created by a a lashing or verbal stripes when someone rebukes you or some other form of metaphorical stripes of discipline. Stripes that wound scour away evil. In other words, when we feel pain because of our sin, it has the effect of scrubbing us clean of that sin. Obviously, if we receive it well and as it's meant to be received. When you feel pain because of your sin, if you'll receive that pain the right way, it will have the effect of scrubbing away that sin. Stripes that wound scour away evil. And so, you and I need to put ourselves in situations where we can receive those stripes, where we can receive those wounds, where we can receive this discipline. You and I need to put ourselves into situations where we can receive the faithful wounds of a friend that expose our faults and cause us to feel pain because of them. For this is one way of cultivating righteousness, isn't it? Stripes that wound scour away evil, and strokes reach the innermost parts. Put yourself in positions to receive discipline, to receive wounds of a friend. Righteousness is cultivated by means of discipline. But then God also tells us that righteousness is cultivated by means of wisdom. Wisdom. Back in chapter 2, we are told that discretion and understanding, which are synonyms for wisdom, to which we gave a whole sermon in this series, discretion and understanding, we're told in chapter 2, will deliver us from the way of sin and will lead us to walk in the paths of righteousness. Listen to it. Chapter 2, verses 11 through 16, and then we'll skip down to verse 20. Listen for how he's saying that wisdom, discretion, and understanding will deliver us from the way of sin and lead us to walk in the paths of the righteous. Discretion, chapter 2, verse 11, will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the way of darkness, who delight in doing evil and rejoice in the perversity of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways, to deliver you, this is still talking about uh, discretion and understanding, to deliver you, verse 16, from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words. Chapter 2 verse 20, so you will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. So do you hear it? 
Wisdom, discretion, understanding, verses 11 and following, keep us out of sin. And, verse 20, they lead us to walk in righteousness. And therefore, we must, chapter 4, acquire wisdom. And God has a lot to say in this book of Proverbs about the acquisition of wisdom. And we looked at what he says about it more extensively a few weeks back. But just notice from right here in chapter 2, in this same passage uh, that tells us the results of wisdom, it actually begins by telling us about the acquisition of wisdom. Notice here in chapter 2 the encouragement to pray for wisdom in verses 3 and 4. And the assertion in verse 6 that wisdom comes from the mouth of God. Listen to 3 through 6. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So, follow, follow the train of thought here. Righteousness is cultivated by means of wisdom, verses 11 and following. And so we must acquire wisdom. And it may be acquired, we're we're working backwards on the logic here, but wisdom may be acquired by praying earnestly for it, verses 3 and 4, crying for it, seeking it as silver, and wisdom may be acquired by listening when God opens his mouth. 4, verse 6, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And he speaks, he opens his mouth, of course, in this book. And so here's the deal. If you want to be righteous, be in prayer and in the scriptures seeking wisdom. And this wisdom will keep you from evil, verses 11 through 16, or 11 through beyond 16, actually. And this wisdom will lead you to walk in the way of good Men, verse 20, do you want to be on the right side of the good and the evil that God is watching? Seek wisdom, acquire wisdom. So righteousness is cultivated by means of discipline. It's cultivated by means of wisdom. And then also, righteousness is cultivated, chapter 16, verse 6, by the fear of the Lord. By the fear of the Lord. Listen to it with me in the second part of verse 16. By the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. By the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. Now that's a statement of fact, right? But though it is a statement of fact, it's a statement of fact that is meant to woo us to take advantage of the fact that it states, right? What God is saying to us with this fact is, if you want to keep away from evil, fear me. If you want to keep away from evil, honor me highly and reverence me deeply. By the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. And I think the logic behind this wooing fact is this. If you fear God, it will lessen your desire for evil. If you fear the Lord, you won't want to sin so much. That's how it works, that by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. If you fear him, you won't want to sin as much as you would otherwise. 
So then, by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. And of course, keeping away from evil is an important part of cultivating righteousness. And so we cultivate righteousness by fearing the Lord, by means of a deep reverence for God, by means of a high honor for God. And in order to foster such fear, in order to foster such honor and reverence, you and I must think often and we must think well on God's holiness and on the fact that he's all-powerful and all-knowing. And we must think often and well on his justice and his wrath. And we must think often and well on his love and his patience and his provision if we are to come to reverence him as we ought. We must think on how even the angels cover their faces in his presence. And we must think of the fact that it is he who has made us and not we ourselves, Psalm 100. And we must think often and well of his sending of his very own son to save his people from their sins. We must cultivate a grand vision of a grand God so that we reverence him, so that we fear him, honor him. And we must let this vision of a grand God cause us to fear him and honor him and therefore to not desire sin nearly as we might otherwise. By the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. I hope you've been moved today by the motives for righteousness that God gives us in this book. And I hope they've made you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I hope you'll put that into application by doing what God has said to do about the cultivation of righteousness. And then before we finish, let me draw your attention to one more verse from this book. Chapter 28, verse 13. Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Are you convinced today, convicted today, that you're not righteous? Or are you convicted that you're lacking in some particular area of righteousness? Don't try to hide your sins. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Don't try to hide your sins. Bring them out into the light in confession and turn from them in repentance, trusting Jesus who died for sins once for all, and you will find compassion from the Lord. In the words of the Apostle Peter, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord.